video was the cause for all of that no. background noise, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it seems to play differently in every church that we're in. But uh, I hope that that video gave you a little more information about the country. Um, how many of you here tonight would agree with me that something in your life has changed within the last four years? Everybody's hands should be up because you're at least four years older than you were. <laughs> Much like your life, a lot of things have changed since this video was made. This video was almost made about four years ago. And a vast number of things have changed. I'm, first, I'm sure the first thing that you noticed was our family. We started off with three and now there's five of us. Um, another thing that has changed, you heard in the video, um, we talked about going to language school in Portugal. Um, God has since redirected and has opened a door for us to go to language school down in Brazil. There's a, a great language school down there that's attached to a, a missions work. Um, so it'll give us the opportunity to learn the language, work in a ministry that's already established. And it will also give us the opportunity to learn the proper usage of words that you would use in a church setting or a theological setting. So that's another thing that's changed. Um, another thing that has also changed is the population. You heard it talk about how that the population was just under uh, 25 million people. As of today, it's now over 32 million people. I don't know if you caught the statistic that talked about how two-thirds of the entire population are under the age of 24. We personally believe that that's one of the reasons that God has called us to this country, is to reach this next generation with the gospel. We believe that if a child knows Christ as his Savior at a young age, and as he's growing up, and he continues to walk with the Lord, as he becomes an adult, as he goes out into his community and maybe starts working or becomes a business owner, or who knows, even one of the next politicians in his country, that that can make all the difference in a country. Because if you know the Lord as your Savior, they can go and they can reach out into places and tell others about the gospel that we personally would have never been able to reach out to. So that's one of the reasons why we believe that God has called us to this country. Another reason that we believe God has called us to the country is because of the, the, the spiritual nature of the country. You say, well, isn't the spiritual nature of all countries at a point that it needs the gospel? Yes, even here in the United States of America, it is at that point. But the reason that I use the term the dark continent at the beginning of the video was to talk about the spiritual nature of the continent. It's a place that we were, Lauren and I were doing a study on the country a while ago, and we found out that, that witch doctors have to be registered in the country. Yes, witch doctors are active in that country, and there's over 300,000 of them registered with the government. It's a place where witch doctors have put a price on the head of certain people in the country. These people are people that are born with albinism. It's a place that they estimate that there's upwards of 30,000 people that have albinism. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, it's obviously somebody who is born with absolutely no pigmentation in their skin. And the witch doctors have put a price on their head where if they're, you bring, were to bring an entire body of a person with albinism to that witch doctor, you could get upwards of 300,000 U.S. dollars. Because then they'll take that person's body and they'll start to divide it into different things and they'll use the different body parts and trinkets and in potions and in lucky charms. So most people aren't even brave enough to, say, murder somebody, but they are brave enough to go and attack somebody and hack a body part off and take it to the witch doctor. It's a place where I remember going out into a bush church, one that even had the title Baptist on the church. <clears throat> and 
when you go to a church like that, they typically, if they find out you're a preacher, they invite you to come sit up on the stage. And as I'm going up on stage with my friend that was with me, um, different men that were up there were shaking our hands. And we're trying to figure out who the pastor was. Well, each man's hand that we shook, it was one of the deacons of the church. We finally asked, well, where is the pastor? I don't know about you, but when I go to a church, I want to know who the pastor is. And they said, well, he's on the back row. He's on suspension. Why is the pastor on suspension? Well, we had the witch doctor come down to his house and he found a trinket from another witch doctor, so he's on suspension. That's even the spiritual nature of the so-called church over there. And it is our hope and our desire to take the light of the gospel and to punch a hole in that darkness so that people can see the light of the gospel. And then secondly, a part of that, to teach these people that Christ is sufficient. Christ is all that they need. They don't need to be going and visiting the witch doctors and trying to buy trinkets and potions to better their life. That if they serve God wholly with their life, He is all that they need. And that is our goal and our desire. If one of my kids did not already give you one, two, maybe three or four of our prayer cards, please stop by our table and get one. And pray for us and with us that first of all, we would stand in the will of God. Second of all, that we would do a great work for God so that he would get all the honor and glory from it. I hope that that gave you a little bit of a better understanding of where Mozambique is, what's going on in Mozambique, and a little bit more about our family. Uh, tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look over in Luke chapter 5. Now, if I could say this, um, <clears throat> it's a tall task to preach the very next service right after Dr. Rasmussen. I've only been preaching for about nine years, and what did he say this morning? He's been preaching for over 40 years. So don't compare my message to his, please. Um, and as he said this morning, if you are a visitor here and you haven't yet heard Pastor Weigel, please come back. Don't let anything I say tonight deter you from coming back and hearing him. Uh, Luke chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 1, but before we begin, I'm going to open in a word of prayer. Dearly Father, I come before you and I thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to come to your house and to hear from you, to open your word, and I thank you for uh, the word that you have given us. I pray that you would allow for open hearts and open ears tonight, that as your word goes forth, that it would be that it would be implanted and implied in our life. I pray that you would use me tonight, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would hide me behind the cross, and that the people might see you. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Aren't you glad that we have the Word of God? Aren't you glad that we have the whole Word of God? That we don't just have portions that, that it's not we're left hanging when we read part of the Bible? Could you imagine if this is where the book of Luke started? If we didn't have Luke 1, 2, 3, or 4, if it just started in chapter 5, this portion that we've already read, these first three verses, would seem very odd. We see Christ walking along the seashore and he just gets into a boat and he starts giving commands 
to the captain of that boat what he wants him to do. It'd be like if you were driving over here and you stopped at the stoplight just right here, right outside the church. And somebody were to get in the car, get in the seat right next to you as you're driving and try and tell you where to go. It wouldn't go over very well. If you were um, a person that had a, a cell phone with you, you'd probably start calling 911. If uh, you were brave enough, you'd probably tell the person, you get out of this car right now or you're not going to enjoy what's going to happen next. But for all intents and purposes, that's where we're at. You say, what are you getting at? Tonight's message, we're going to be talking about your life. My life, your life. Because the passage that we're reading here in Luke chapter 5, this is where Christ calls the disciples to a life of service in following him. And this is the same call that has echoed throughout the ages since this time of calling people to follow Christ in his service and surrender your life to him. You say, okay, what well, was still the point of the illustration? The first point is, is that if Christ is going to use your life, you have to know him. You have to be saved. You can't be somebody who just comes to church and says, well, you know, I'm a Christian because I come to church and I want God to use my life. You see, if you don't know Christ, as much as you want him to use you, he's never going to use you. And the purpose of the illustration was, if you look back in Luke chapter 4 and verse 38, Christ had already met Peter. This wasn't the first time that Christ had met Peter. It was just him walking on the seashore and then getting in the boat and telling him where he was to go. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 38, it says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. You see, Jesus had already met Peter. He had already established that relationship. And that made it so much easier for when Christ to come along and say, hey, push out a little bit from the land after he had gotten into the boat. If you want Christ to use your life at all, you need to know him as your personal savior. <clears throat> Secondly, the one thing that I want you to think about tonight, when you see the word ship, when you see the word ship or hear it, I want you to think of your life. Because another word for a ship is that of a vessel. And the scriptures tell us that we can be either vessels fit for the master's use or fit. So as we're reading these, these scripture verses, I, when you see that word ship or ships, I want you to think of your life. We'll pick up back in verse 4 of Luke chapter 5. We, we read where, where Christ had gotten in the ship and he said, push out a little bit from the land. And he taught the people. It says in verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now I want you to look at that one more time where it starts out where Jesus says, launch out into the deep. It says, launch out into the deep and let down your, what's the next word? Nets. Now is that singular or is it plural? It's plural. Let's continue on. Verse 5, it says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the... Net. Is that singular or is that plural? Singular. Christ said, let down your nets. Peter said, okay, I'll let down my net. Now what Peter did not realize was at this point that Christ was looking to bless him far beyond anything he had ever seen. You see, Peter was a career fisherman. 
That was something that he had been doing for a very long time, from the time that he was old enough to go out on the boat with his father and not have his father worry whether he was going to mess things up or fall over and, and drown. He had been fishing with his family for a very long time, and Christ was getting ready to show him something that in all those years he had never seen. In verse 7, it says, excuse me, verse 6, it says, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. Well, that's not, not a big deal. That's what you're supposed to do when you go fishing, right? You enclose a great multitude of fishes. It goes on and says, And their net break. Well, maybe it was just an old net. Maybe it was at the point where it's ready to break. It doesn't stop there. It says, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. I want you to think about that. These aren't little canoes. These are ships that can hold at least four full-grown men in them and all of the gear that they need for fishing. Say, well, how do you know that there was four full men in there? Well, take James and John's boat, for instance. There was James, there was John, and then there was their father, Zebedee, that was with them. That's three. And Mark chapter 1 and verse 20, which is uh, an account from Mark's gospel of this same exact story, it says that they had hired servants with them. That's at least four. Servants was plural. That could have meant five. They have two of these ships and they have so many fish that these ships are beginning to sink. Imagine how many more fish it would have been if Peter would have let down the nets. Oftentimes we as Christians, we hold back the blessing of God on our life because we don't fully obey like they did here. Imagine how much more that it would have been if they would have let down all of the nets. The other thing that I see here is in verse 7, it says they beckoned unto their partners. You see, Peter and Andrew weren't the only ones who were blessed through this. And this right here is exactly what Christ wants us to do. When we are at the point where we're serving God with our life, where we've allowed Christ to take our life and to launch out into deeper waters, and He's blessing us, He wants us to beckon unto our partners. You say, well, who are my partners? If you look around yourselves tonight in these pews here at Ocean County Baptist Church, the people that are sitting here tonight, if you are a saved Christian and a member of this church, you are fellow partners in the work of the Lord here. And when God is blessing you, He wants you to get your fellow brothers and sisters involved in the work of the Lord. Maybe it's time that you stop and think, well, I haven't seen so-and-so here at church in a while. Maybe I should call them and say, hey, you know, God's doing some great things. Or maybe you, you feel a burden to go out and door knock a neighbor, just go hand out tracts and it's time to call somebody up and say, hey, you want to come with me? And not only will you be blessed through it, but that person will also receive a blessing because you beckoned unto your partners. Verse 8, it says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Oftentimes we as Christians need to take this exact same posturing that Peter took. Because Peter realized he didn't deserve the blessing of God. I'm a sinful man, O Lord, depart from me. I don't deserve this. And often we as Christians forget the fact that we are only where we are today through the mercy and grace of God. The Bible describes how that once we were far off, but we were only brought nigh by the blood of God. Once in, 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 the, gospel, in, excuse me, in the New Testament, it says that we were aliens from the commonwealth. We didn't deserve any of the blessings of God. And there are times in our life where we need to go before God and we need to humble ourselves and say, God, I don't deserve this, but thank you. Thank you for the blessings that you give me. They're at the end of verse 10, the call that God places on them. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19 puts it this way, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Say, so, well, is that, a, is that a contradiction in the Bible? No. It's not a contradiction. It's from a different point of view. You see, each one of the men that God inspired to write the first four Gospels, they had a different perspective on the life of Christ. It'd be like if we were to talk to people who were watching the baseball game last night. From the perspective of Yankee fans, that was just horrible. From the perspective of an Astros fan, it was an awesome game. Altuve hitting a walk-off homer in the ninth inning. Were either side wrong? No. It's from a different perspective. And that's what we see here in the Gospels. It's one of the things that I love about the four Gospels is that typically when you open and you read a story in one of the Gospels, you can find that exact same story in almost all of the other Gospels and see it from a different point of view. You see, this is the point where the disciples have to make a decision in their life. You see, they were fine with letting Christ stand in their boat there in the shallows and preach. They were fine with having Christ say, all right, let's launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. That was fine. We're at the point where Christ says, follow me. He's asking them to leave everything. And we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at those different things. If you look over in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 22, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 22 says over there, and they immediately left the ship. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here tonight that is like this. I don't even know if any of the disciples were like this. But I know some people that they have their day down to a T. They have to be up by a certain time. They have to be dressed and ready by a certain time. They have to have their cup of coffee by a certain time. They have to be out the door and on the road by a certain time. And if any of that is messed up, you might as well write it off, put it in the books, and we'll start again tomorrow. You see, it's a sense of security, knowing what's going to happen next. And the disciples had to stop and they had to make a decision of, if I follow him, I don't know what's coming next. You see... We can read in the Gospels, there's a time where a young man comes to Christ and he says, I would follow you. And Christ basically says this to him. He says, are you sure? 
Because the foxes have their dens and the sparrows have their nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. You see, it wasn't a glamorous job that Christ was calling him to. He didn't say, Peter, follow me and you'll get a six-figure income. You'll get a 401k. You're going to get a nice company car. He was calling them to the unknown. And they had to make a decision in their life of, if I follow him, I have to give up the life that I know and follow him. The next thing that we see that they had to give up, you look in verse 20, it says, and straightway they left their nets. Now their nets were their source of income. That was their finances. That's how they caught the fish. Sometimes following the Lord with your life requires that you leave that up to God. They didn't know where their next income was coming from. And you know, it was something that they worried about. If you look later in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is uh, referred to as the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, Christ specifically tells them in Matthew chapter 6, He says, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or wherewithal you shall be clothed. Because he knew, even though the disciples didn't voice it, that they had that doubt in the back of their mind of, I, I don't know where, where I'm going to get the money to provide for my family or, or to get that next meal. They had to be willing to give up that financial security in their life to follow Christ. If you look back in verse 22, we didn't finish that verse. It says, they immediately left the ship and their father. Sometimes following Christ requires that you separate yourself from family. Now, there are different ways that this can be done. For myself, being a missionary, going halfway around the world, or as Dr. Rasmussen this said, said this morning, you know, he's, he's got his daughter over in Thailand, 8,500 miles away. It's not a matter of a fact that, you know, my parents dislike that. They're perfectly fine with me serving the Lord. But God has called us to that place, so it requires that we have that separation between us. But then there's also, on the other hand, where you personally have to separate yourself from family because your family is holding you back from serving God. You say, what are you talking about? You ever been in that position where you're at church and you hear a great message and you get on fire from God and you, you go home and you tell your family, hey, I'm going I, I, to do this for God. They look at you and say, really? <laughs> You're going to do something for God? No. And then you get discouraged. <laughs> well, they must be right, so I can't serve the Lord. It's time that you take and you separate yourself from that family. Because that's the only way that you're fully going to surrender your life to God for His service. You see, they had to be willing to give up their life, their work, their family. Let's look over in Mark chapter 1 and verse 20. I already mentioned this, this verse already. Mark chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants. See, these hired servants, they represent friends. I don't know how you could work with somebody day after day and not develop some kind of friendship unless the person is just intolerable. But I imagine that these hired servants had become friendly to an extent with Peter and Andrew and James and John. 
And they had to make a decision in their life of, well, I have to leave these friends that I know. Once again, it's very similar to family. There are different ways that you can separate yourself from family and friends. But sometimes family isn't an issue because maybe they are encouraging you to follow the Lord, or maybe it's because you haven't talked to your family in 10 years. But you have that friend that you maybe grew up with or that friend that you go and confide in in everything that you do, and yet they're holding you back from serving the Lord. Well, what, what, what if they don't like that I'm giving my life to the Lord? Well, what, what are they going to say if I go and tell them, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord with my life? That's when it's time to take and to separate yourself from that friend because serving God with your life is far greater than any friendship that you could ever have. Let's look back in Luke chapter 5 and verse 11. You say, you know, I'm, I'm good with everything that you've said. I'm willing to forsake my life and my, my finances and my family and my friends. Luke chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. We need to bring everything that we have, all that we are before God and say, any part of me that you want, every part of me that you want, use it for your glory. Because so many times we as Christians, we, we, we take this little thing that we want, we say, nope, you, can't have, you can have all of that. Don't touch this here, this is mine. Don't touch this, nope, nope. Don't, don't even talk about it. We need to bring our all to God and say, here I am, use me as you see fit. Say, okay, I, I'm with you. What do I get out of it? What's in it for me? You wouldn't be the first person to ask that question. If you look over in Matthew chapter 19, there was somebody that you're probably very familiar with. He was very well known for opening his mouth, speaking, and then inserting foot. It was the apostle Peter. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27... It says, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? See, Peter asked the exact same question. Hey, Jesus, remember when you said follow me? We left everything and we followed you. What are we going to get out of it? Verse 28, if I can say this. Verse 28 is not for us. Now don't crucify me yet. Let's read it. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That was written for the apostles. Verse 29 was written for us. It says, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. You see, when you are willing to bring your all to God and to give it to Him, He is willing to bless you. He says, I'm willing to bless you 100-fold. Well, does that mean that my paycheck is going to increase 100 times? Probably not. Could it happen? Yes, God can do all things. But that's not what He's talking about here. He's talking about spiritual blessings. You see, just as John wrote, 
that he has no greater joy than to see that his children walk in truth. You see, that was a blessing from the Lord because John decided he was going to follow Christ. And because he followed Christ, his children were following Christ after him. It reminds me of my father. My father, was, he was not raised a Christian. He was raised by a single mother for a majority of his life. She was raised a Mormon. So that's the only religion that he knew was Mormonism. He joined uh, the Air Force out of high school. He went stationed over in Germany. And he had a, a, a roommate and a co-worker that kept on witnessing to him. They witnessed him and they witnessed him. And he finally said, okay, I'll go. I'll go to church with you. It's one of those things. Well, if I go, then they'll, they'll stop pestering me. Well, he went that night and he heard the gospel and he got saved. Nobody took him and said, hey, now that you're a Christian, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this and that. He got a Bible and he started reading it. And from reading God's word, he saw how a Christian should live their life to honor and glorify God. And he said, okay, I'll, 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 I'll forsake that. I'll forsake that. You mean that if I witness to my grandmother, who's a very strict Mormon, that she won't talk to me for the rest of my life? Okay, I'm good with that. And because he decided to follow the Lord with his whole life, he has one son that's a pastor, one son that's an assistant pastor, a son that's a missionary on his way to the field, and his two other sons serve the Lord as laymen in their church. I don't know about you, but I don't see a greater blessing than that. There is no greater blessing than to see that the generations that follow you also follow the Lord. You say, okay, I follow you. I'm willing to give my all to the Lord and I'm ready for the blessings. Pour them out. Can I say this? That a storm is going to come? Because it's easy to serve the Lord when everything is smooth, when the rainbows are out, and everything is great. But serving the Lord when a storm is going on, that's when it becomes difficult. Let's look over in Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. It says, In the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now the first thing that I see here is history's first ever recording of a waterbed. Okay, that didn't go over very well. But no, in all honesty, the disciples, these were experienced fishermen. This wasn't the first storm that they had ever been through. I'd almost imagine that they saw the storm clouds coming in and Peter and Andrew and James and John said to the other guys, it's fine, we got this. We've been through a storm in our life. They get the ship ready and it gets to the point where these experienced fishermen, they honestly feel like they're ready to die. Carest thou not that we perish? When amazingly, if they would have gone to Christ at the beginning of the storm, he could have said, peace be still then. 
So many times we as Christians do exactly this. We wait until everything is just falling apart in our life. We feel like we can't go on and that's when we turn to Christ. When if we see the problem coming and we go to God and say, can you handle this? He can say, peace, be still. You see, the one thing the disciples didn't realize is that there were people relying on them to get through the storm. For sake of time, we won't read, but if you read Mark chapter 5, it's the story of the maniac of Kadara. This man whose life was so horrible, none of us here tonight would want to experience one second of it. Christ casts the demons out of him, makes everything new in his life. He goes to follow Christ, and Christ says to him, I want you to stay here and tell your friends and family what great things God has done in your life. You see, if the disciples would have decided to turn around, to not get through that storm, to not turn to Christ, there's a possibility that this man's life would have never been changed. But not just his life. The life of the thousands of people that he would reach. You say, what people? You see, Christ was asked to leave that side of the sea. It says that the people were fearful and he told him, go tell your friends and family what great things God has done in your life. If you read Mark chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, Christ returns to that part of the sea again and they're coming out by the multitudes to see what Christ can do in their life. But it wasn't even just those people. Remember back at the beginning in verse 36, at the end of that verse it says, and there was also with him other little ships. Parents, grandparents, the people who are relying on you the most to get through a storm in your life are your kids and your grandkids. I can't tell you how many people I know. I was growing up with other kids and their parents go through a storm and their parents say, we quit. I can't handle this. And they leave church and they take their kids with them. I see those kids that are around my age, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and they look like they've never been in a church a day in their life because their parents said, I can't handle this storm. Turn to God. Turn to God and he will say, peace, be still. Lastly, if we look over in John chapter 21, John chapter 21, you say, well, what if I, I've gone through a storm and I did turn back? You wouldn't be the first. You either see the disciples, they had gone through at this point in their life, where we'll pick up in John chapter 21, a mental storm. You see the man that they had forsaken all to follow for the last three and a half years of their life. He was taken, illegally tried, executed. He was buried. Now, yes, he had risen from the grave and he appears to them in the end of John chapter 20. But he vanishes out of the room. And I don't know if at some point they thought, well, that's it. But this is where we pick up in John chapter 21. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee. And the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught so many fish they became career fishermen. Is that what it says? No. It says, and that night they caught 
nothing. Hmm. Sound a little familiar? Doesn't it sound like we're right back in Luke chapter 5? It says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he saith unto them, Cast a net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved saith un, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. It's almost like Christ was standing there on the seashore saying, How's that old life working out? That life that I called you out of, remember I said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He had called them out of the life of fishing, and yet they had gone back. Peter knew that he was wrong. That's why he girded his fisher's coat unto him and threw himself into the sea. The thing that we see here is that regardless of whether you failed and turned around and didn't get through the storm in your life, Christ is always standing there waiting for you to come back. He's always standing there willing to give a blessing if you just surrender your life to Him. You say, what did this message have anything to do with missions? Missions starts with surrendering your life to God. If Peter would have never followed Christ in Luke chapter 5, he would have never stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached Christ and saw thousands saved. The only way you're ever going to do anything for God in your life is if you bring your all to Him. We started off Luke chapter 5 and we found the ships sitting on the seashore. That's not where ships are supposed to be. Maybe you're in that position where you're, you're out of the will of God. Maybe you are in the shallows and Christ is standing there and He's saying, let's launch out into the deep. Maybe you're in the deep and He's saying, let down your nets for a draught. Maybe it's time that you beckon unto your partners. Maybe you're at the point of surrender in your life where you're saying, well, can I give up this? Well, I think I can give up. Oh, no, no. Surrender it all to God. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm. Don't turn back. Turn to God. Maybe you didn't make it through a storm. Christ is standing there waiting for you to come back. The question tonight is, is where is your ship? Where is your life? You're the only one who knows tonight. I can't sit here and point to each and every person and say, yeah, I can tell by looking at that person that they're not right with God or you know, this person is at this. No, pastor can't even get up here and do that. The only one who knows your heart is you and God. Where's your life tonight? If everybody bow their heads and close their eyes, I'll ask Pastor to come close the service. My Father, I come to you, Lord, and I thank you for uh, just the call of God, the move of God in our life. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's never been saved, uh, Spirit of God, will you just bring conviction on their heart, touch them, impress upon them uh, the need to turn to Jesus and Jesus alone. I pray for every believer tonight, Lord, uh, how we need to surrender our life completely 
uh, anew and afresh every day. Uh, Lord, I, I just really believe with all my heart that you're still in the business of calling people into 